You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Welcome guys to another week of The Perth Property Show. As always, I'm your host, Trent Fleskins, and this week is just as exciting as the last. Today, we're talking how to improve your serviceability at the banks. It's something that we're all a bit confused about these days with all the changes. And to help us out, we've got Aaron D. Camillo from Surrey Road Finance to uh, have a chat. Aaron, thanks a lot. Pleasure, Trent. How are you going, mate? Good to see you. Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Let's get straight into it. Yep. We're talking about improving our chances at getting the best loan possible. And it's something that a lot of us don't really understand. How does that makeup come about? How do the banks assess us? It's not just money going in, money going out. If we think we can afford it, we can. The banks look at it really quite differently, don't they? They do. And the way they look at it has changed a lot over the last couple of years as well. So adding complexity to it is that things have been wound in a lot. So particularly since March last year when APRA put the squeeze on the banks. Mm, we've all heard about it in the news. Yeah, highly publicised. But the, the the effects of that are still being felt. And we'll probably still feel them in the, in the lending market for another 12 or 18 months mm. in as much as how much that has restricted people's borrowing power. It's a foot on the hose for us in Western Australia. Whilst we're trying to lift ourselves out of the, the slump and you know we've got some good foundational stats saying it's going to happen, it's happening now. You yep. know, we've got new projects coming in. That's half the equation. The other half is, can we get finance? And the banks are saying, sorry, mate, because of the way Sydney and Melbourne are going, we're a bit nervous. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword for us because we've gone through our rough time and and are looking to climb Mm. on the way up. But the Reserve Bank needs to uh, support the East Coast as they're going through their downturn. So Mm. we'll get the benefit of some good interest rates for the next couple of years, which will be upside. But really what we would want is a bit more borrowing power. And unfortunately, even though in reality, yes, great interest rates, the banks aren't looking at us at 3.75%, are they? What are they testing us on? So the way they're measuring us, the buffers have come up, you know, sometimes to 7, 7.5% yeah. is what they're measuring. That's Other, double. Yeah, at least double. So if we're looking at the CBA calculator and going, oh, I reckon I could afford $1,600 a month, the bank's not asking that question, are they? No. They're asking, can you afford three grand a month? Correct. Yeah, which makes it obviously very, very difficult for people looking to buy their, their second property, their investment property, but also difficult for the people who've already got investment properties that are coming off their interest-only period. Refinancing. That's right. And they're now having to reapply a whole new application just to maintain that interest-only payment rather than go to principal and interest. So it becomes a wider problem than just stopping people from buying. It's it's going to, uh, what has impeded people who have investment properties at the moment. And that's like a bit of a cliff people are talking about. I don't think it's going to be as drastic as people think or people have seen in America where it's a bit of a credit crunch cliff of everyone's run out of five years. It's all, obviously, we're all staggered as to when our personal five years is up. That's right. But people are going to have to start making some really conscious decisions about is it worth holding this? And can I afford now, instead of going from $1,800 a month to $2,300 a month? That's a precipice for a lot of people. It is. The the thing compounding that problem is they don't necessarily have the option of getting out of that property if they've bought it in the last two years and the valuation has perhaps come off a little bit. Yeah, so they're faced with the proposition of either trying to raise some funds to actually create a sale of a property mm. or going principal and interest and having their cash flow burn. Mm, that's a tough situation. Tricky. You don't want to be selling because you have to, especially in that's this right. market. Yeah. So we've just touched on, I guess, that first factor of how the banks assess us. That's the assessment rate, which yep. is generally at the moment double what the real rate is. So straight away, if we think it's just what we want to pay, no, it's a lot more than that. The next factor personal expenses, your monthly expenses. Yes, very much a spotlight for lenders at the moment is going through individual household expenses. Hmm. So what are the real costs that a family or an individual might have? Uh, and that then impacts the amount they're able to borrow. Mm. More often than not, though, we're looking straight away at their personal uh, liabilities. So we might be going through some credit cards that they're not using. 
or are using and perhaps shouldn't be. Personal loans, uh, car loans that they, you know, they might be paying a 14 or 15% interest rate on their car loan. Mm. It might be a, a matter of refinancing that or even selling the car to, to downsize. Yeah. So a couple of options, the immediate go-tos that help us create a bit of extra borrowing power for people. But we look back and we've got a good budget. We're quite clean in terms of what we're doing with our money every month. We have a household income of $150,000 and we only spend $1,400 a month. We've done our budget. The banks don't to always it. agree to that, do they? No, Especially that's in right. This case. Nah, so the bank will have their own idea of how they measure things, depending on where, what their levers are and how much money they want to lend at the moment. Mm. But I mean, it, even further to that, even if you have got a tight budget and you're sticking to it, uh, they still want to find out what you're spending it on. So if you're prone to a flutter mm. and have perhaps more withdrawals from the casino than you should over the course of any given month... They'll ask the question. Oh, they absolutely will, yeah. yeah. They want to know what your spending habits are. Ultimately, they want to find out your ability to repay the loan, mm. but they're the sort of things that they'll pick up on. Yeah, so straight away, a couple of points there. One being that whilst we think our declared living expenses might be $1,400 yep. a month, but really there's that that floor. They've got an assessed index rate and that might be $2,000 a month. So there's 600 bucks. Yep. And then whilst we look at the credit cards we've got, maybe we've never ever paid interest in our life. It's never actually been an expense for us. We just use it for points. Yep. What do the banks do? At what percentage are they looking at? For example, if it's a $20,000 credit card, what number are they applying to your monthly expenses, even if you've never paid interest before? Yeah, well, regardless of what your balance is, if uh, they'll take three percent of your limit on your credit card as your monthly repayment. So that's six hundred bucks. That's right. Yeah. So if you've been accepting credit limit increases because they offer it to you for the last five, it's years, easy. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Rainy day, but you've never used it. Even if you've got that, you only really use fifteen hundred dollars a month on that credit card. You never pay interest. The limit is twenty thousand dollars. They will assess you to be having a six hundred dollar a month expense, on top of your other expenses, your, your food, yeah. your transport, just for holding that credit card. So That's I'm right. finding personally, I'm sure you are as well. One strategy that we're doing is to get people over the line is getting rid of those credit cards. Yeah, cleaning up some stuff that they're either not using, or I mean, worst case they are using it and paying eighteen, nineteen percent on their credit card. So mm. let's sort that out and clear up the expenses that are not necessarily very good debt. And if they are looking to invest in property, then that's a better debt to have. So we touched on the bank statements. Obviously, a couple of years ago, they really, as long as you had the money, mm. as long as you submitted the statements, they weren't really looking at them line for line. That's right. Let's be yeah, honest, right? Fairly casual. Yeah. Now, they're looking at those statements line for line. You know, they're not asking questions on all of them, but when they see things like TAB, casino, uh, monthly subscriptions to things, these are all things that if you haven't declared that as one of your line items, they're going to say, well, we're going to add that to the list yep. on top of what we think your indexed expense would be anyway. That level of detail we've not really seen before. So that's mm. that's a, a relatively new thing and it does make it harder for people to, to get into what they want. It, it really does speak to making sure people have got their banking set up properly. Mm. So limit the number of credit cards you've got to the ones that you absolutely need. Yep. Limit the number of bank accounts and that's as much as not paying uh, unnecessary bank fees as mm. it is simplifying your banking to make it look easier. It's as if you now need to have a plan. You can't just go yep. in and go, I want to buy a house next week. It's actually, look, let's look at our finances now. The banks want 90 days of statements on your personal sort of savings and salaries account to check you out. So we want to buy a house in the next few months. Let's clean it up now. Let's stop with the subscriptions. Let's stop with the flutters. And from now on, our assessed character is going to be shiny as so that we have the best opportunity 
of being assessed as good in our credit character. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's a much more practical way of the bank's assessing it. If you're organized in your, your personal finances, I think that's a really good thing to, to get people to prepare for their home loan. At the risk of being controversial, I think we saw Keystart come out a month or two ago and say, we don't believe that genuine savings reflects anyone's ability to repay a proposed home loan. Yeah. So they removed that requirement. So I thought that was really interesting. So, but I do think that getting your personal finances in order, trimming up your credit cards or your personal debt, personal loans, car loans, and getting yourself in a good spot is a really good preparation for, for home lending. So that's another sort of topic really, isn't it? As much as we're talking right now on how to increase your serviceability, that all means nothing if you actually don't have the right behaviours That's right. Yeah. in place to pay that off. Because it's all well and good getting a loan, but if you don't have the behaviours to hold that loan you'll default and you're in a much bigger world of pain than not having the house before anyway that's right and as much as you and i talk about the importance of planning for what you're going to do with your property investment you know and working out your strategy and your your finance strategy you need to have a bit of that before you even go into the market and plan Mm. plan for your entry into the market uh, before you start executing that strategy aaron thanks a lot for your time today pleasure soon Excellent. Thanks, Trent. Now we're going to move on to this week's Suburb Spotlight. We are talking Westminster in the city of Stirling. To help us out, we've got Westminster's number one agent, Adam Normowski from the agency. Adam, thanks for coming in. No problems. Thanks for having us. Adam, Westminster is an older suburb. It's gone through a lot of gentrification in the last couple of decades, especially in the late 2010s. Saw some big peaks and, yes. a, and a few troughs in that last Most few definitely. years. Can we go through a bit of the history first? What was Westminster when it was first subdivided and how's it changing as as time goes on? Well, Westminster originally, Trent, was actually Southern Belga quite a few years ago. So it was re-subdivided in 1994. So it's a pretty pretty new suburb, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually, funnily (laughs) enough. And that's where Westminster does come from is it was called Westminster Boulevard in Belga. And they then subdivided south of that, which created the suburb of Westminster, which holds now about 2,200 dwellings. It's a fairly small suburb in comparison to other suburbs in the city of Stirling. So it was an estate of Balga, is that Pretty right? much, correct, And yeah. what they've done is they've split Balga in half along Reed Highway. Exactly right. Everything south of Reed Highway is now yeah, a new suburb. It right. makes sense. I it mean, does. how many suburbs cross a highway? No, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Spot on. No, very very uh, good thinking there by the city of Stirling and created a, you know, a beautiful suburb, in my opinion. Well, there are slightly different houses. There's a bit more money going into Westminster than there ever has been in Balga. More of a Nolamara, Balcata influence obviously. Yeah, it's butted up against Nolamara and, and Belcatus. It's got its own shopping centre, it's got its own schools, it's got its own park, so it's a great little suburb and separating it from Belga I think was definitely the right move back in 94. Back in Belga days, yep. what sort of people were first coming in? What sort of houses were there? Look, there was uh, quite a bit of state housing, which obviously a lot of the listeners would, would be aware of and it still probably does have that slight stigma attached to it. However, there's hardly any state housing in there anymore and there was a lot of young families as well in the area back then looking for those bigger parcels of land. Over time, as you mentioned, mentioned a lot of that development has come through because there's been a lot of opportunity with the flat zoning of R40. Most definitely, yeah. We can talk about that later. And what sort of people are buying off you now? So, so the type of people that are buying off us now is predominantly first home buyers and young families. And, and the reason being is obviously those larger lots have now been usually split into lots of three. Yep. Great entry level purchases. You can buy your brand new lock up and leave low maintenance properties yeah. uh, at a really affordable price in a great location close to the CBD and with lots of infrastructure around it. So that's who's buying off us now. Majority, there's not really too many investors at the moment. Going back five or six years ago, we would sell a fair bit to investors, but I think that's the Perth market in general. First home buyers uh, and young families would be the people that we're selling to at the moment. 
Are there still a lot of people in the suburb who have been around for decades still caring for their house and happy to be there? There is. There's some beautiful streets still available in Westminster where these houses have been there for a very long time and usually sort of uh, European descent. There were a lot of the people who migrated to WA back then and that's the areas that they choose, similar to Balcatta and Nolamara. Nice big homes on big blocks, really well looked after and they're still there and, and they probably will continue to be there. You know, we have been getting some people buying off us of late rather than subdividing, actually wanting the big a block in a good location and renovating the home and staying there so there is still a little bit of that but still predominantly a development suburb. I guess the difference between Westminster and Balga is that you've got a lot more of that Italian style Balcatta one and a half story home like spot you know on. they're definitely yeah. Italian yeah. houses yeah, you know on, yeah. yeah and yeah. you have that in Westminster whereas you don't you have don't, that in Balga. No, you're you're yeah. exactly right you get a lot of those undercroft homes as yeah well. those we, ones yep. yeah and and you can see how they're you know manicured and maybe the concrete line or yep. statue at the front of the house yeah. usually gives away that they're of European descent yep uh, but yeah you, you're 100% right I think because it's on the other side of Reed Highway a lot of people who perhaps couldn't afford to buy in Balcatta back in the day, moved to the closest suburb next to it, which was Westminster, but still have that very... Grandiose Europe, house. Yeah, yeah, it's similar to if you're driving down Cedric Street or Jones Street, you know, you see those houses pop up every second or third home. Yes. They are, there is similar uh, certain patches in Westminster that have those properties as well. And that's good. It leads into the fact that there are, even back in those initial days, there was some high level of build spend at the time. Yeah. And now in the new generation of homes, we see a few townhouses as well. We don't just see the one-story stuff. We've no. seen a lot of townhouses. Yeah, we see a lot of townhouses, a lot of villas. And it's a good mixture too because there is still the older homes there as well. And it gives us that good community and family-orientated sense or feel, I should say, as well as a few apartments as well. So obviously there was a big rezoning throughout the city of Stirling back a couple of years ago. And they changed the zoning where you could allow these um, six to eight apartments per site. That's no longer available, but there is a fair few apartments in the area too, which have popped up as late. So there's a mixture of old established homes, brand new villas, brand new townhouses, established villas and townhouses and brand new apartments. So Adam, let's roll through it one by one. We'll yep. start at the apartments you spoke of yes. and go all the way through to the development block with your units and townhouses in between. What are we paying for each of these product types in Westminster? Okay, so your brand new apartments at the moment is hovering around the high 200 to low 300 mark, depending on spec. We just sold out at one apartment complex in particular, which we averaged about 320 across the board, but it was a very, very high spec for the area. Your standard specification apartments are hovering around the sort of 280 to 290. That's for brand new. If you're looking at established apartments in the area, there's really not too many because they've only just built them. So there hasn't been that influx of apartments come onto the market yet, but they'd be hovering closer to the mid 200s. The other ones are your three by two villas. That's the most common built property in the area. Brand new three by two villas at the moment, hovering around the 400 mark, 380 to 400K for a brand new three by two, established closer to the mid 300s. Uh, your townhouses at the moment, brand new, mid to high 400s, established. We've got a couple on the market at the moment and a few that have sold recently around that sort of 399, 400 mark. There's a lot of value there, isn't it, for a there, townhouse There's heaps that of value. Price. I mean, you know, double-story homes, a lot of them are four by twos with the two theatre rooms. I mean, if you're going to do the math and try and buy a block and build something like that. No now, way. No chance. And a lot of these things are only three or four years old. Yeah. So there's great value and there's great buying. What we find in the area is a lot of first-home buyers steer away from established homes because they want to capitalise on the $10,000 first-home owner's grant. However, when you look at it value-wise, you're, you're buying something a little bit older, but you're not getting the 10,000, but yeah. look at the size of the home that you're getting. It's you know? almost like the seller is getting that 10,000 because it pumps up the price. Correct. It's like a, driving a car out of a car yard. 
you're spot on, you're 100% right. We do try and educate first home buyers on that when they come through properties. There's a lot of great value and a lot of great buyers available there in the moment. I mean, those four by two townhouses going back three or four years ago, we're selling them for 600,000, you know, so there's been quite a big decrease and it's a great time to buy. Obviously, it sucks for the people who own them right now, which is it a does. reality. We yep. all take that on. That's right. But we're talking 2018, 2019 timeframes and there's value there. There, there is. And going back to the last property, which we haven't discussed, is the old homes on the big blocks. And that's where the real value is in the area at the moment. Great time to be land banking, in my opinion, where if you don't want to do a development straight away or if you're looking to do a development, there's some fantastic value at the moment. People snapping up three by ones, which are rentable on 728 to 800 square meter blocks for around the 400,000 mark. Once again, going two or three years ago when the zoning changed and you could build apartments, it was 600,000 all day long. So with the sale prices of villas and townhouses, we would expect to increase over the course of the next two or three years. It's a great time to be buying the land now, getting the land at a good rate, and then doing the development later on. And that's when, obviously, the profits are higher when you buy the land at the correct price. That's right. That's a really good way to segue into development opportunities in Westminster, which is going to be a big chat now. Yep. I think the first thing to think about as a fundamental idea in terms of that buying price is that if you're building three, and each of those three go up in value by 20 grand, then you have the ability to spend 60 grand more on the development block, which is how those development blocks went from late 300,000 in the 2010 timeframe up to 600,000 yeah. you know, within the space of a cycle. And, yeah. and then it dropped that quickly again because three times that drop, it obviously makes it drop so quickly. Exactly so this right. volatility on the older block isn't there, but if you can get it in low, then you can make money quickly. Yeah, I, look, the, the main reason there was that massive spike was because of the apartment rezoning where developers could then build six to eight apartments rather than be building three villas. So the profit margin is a lot higher. Therefore, they were happy to spend an extra 100, 150,000 on block. Yeah. However... The prices have now dropped, A, because of the market and what the villas are selling for, but also because you can only build villas now not or townhouses, not apartments. Well, let's talk about that. Run yep. us through that. You referenced it a couple of times. The interesting thing about Balgar, Westminster, Nolamara yep. is that they all had that flat R40 zoning come in, which in a positive way accelerated the gentrification of the suburb. But what we're seeing a lot of is that in some areas, it's created just more density of lower quality product. And what we've seen is other councils with the split zoning, making sure they're using that split zoning to have levels of control to make sure the quality is still there yep. in the build or the yep. different types. You can't do dog boxes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And you're also referencing the coming and going of apartment building opportunity. Can you talk us through all of that history on the development yeah, side? Yeah, most definitely. So the development sites, like I said, had a spike of about 150 to 200,000 in Nolamara, Westminster and Balcata within the space of six months when the zoning changed. The reason for that being was no longer could you only build three units or townhouses, you could now build six to eight apartments. It went absolutely gangbusters in that area. I mean, you couldn't get your hands on a block of land. It was really being sold to the highest bidder at the time. Then I think, well, in my opinion, what happened is the infrastructure of the areas probably couldn't support that much the density. density. And these things were being built everywhere. So probably should have been a better plan in place, in my opinion, as to where you can build these types of properties closer to a park or a shopping center, or maybe on only the main roads, not on every single street where you're driving down, you've got a block of apartments sticking out to your left and to your right sort of sticks out like a bit of a sore thumb the other thing was i suppose parking was a big issue because a lot of these apartments only come with one car bay and two visitor bays now when you think about the demographic of people who are buying them or rent
renting them, usually sharing to bring down mortgage costs or bring down rental costs, and usually two cars. So what you were getting or what you're getting now is cars parked all along the side of the road. And the city of Stirling or, or WAPC, whoever it was, put a stop to it. Everything obviously took time for those prices to come down of land to where they are now. So sort of had a knock-on effect, I suppose. And now we're back to where we are now. So yeah, it did go crazy there for two years and that pumped the prices up quite a bit in the area. And what we're seeing as well is the city of Stirling enforcing that 10% public open space yeah. contribution levy, which yeah. means that for survey strata applications, if you want to do three units or more, mm-hmm. you have to give them for nothing yep. 10% of the land value of the block that you've got. Yes. That could be $40,000, right? And we- that hits people. It does now, especially with the profit margins being so much lower than what they were going back 10 years ago when developers were making serious money on a development. Now that the price have pegged back, you know, the land is isn't probably still matched up to what the villas are selling for. And the villa prices have dropped up to $100,000. The profit margins are nowhere near as much as what they were five to 10 years ago. So having to give another 10% on top of that, wow, you know, it's a bit, bit of a kick in the teeth. Lucky for those doing built strata, they're not being hit with it. But I think what it's doing is they're using those fiscal forces yep. to get people to focus on lower density. Yeah, spot on. Side by yep. sides, house behind houses, because obviously they've realized maybe we've yep. overshot this. Yep. What we're going to do, we can't stop them doing this, but we yep. can make it really hard, unprofitable yep. for them to do it. And why not? We've seen a lot of the triplexes. We've seen a lot of apartments. We haven't seen a lot of house side, behind, by side. side by sides or house behind houses in it, Westminster. It's, it, a, it's a bit of diversity. It's, it's very rare. And, and I think you know, hit the nail on the head. Exactly what you said is, is exactly what's happening. You're 100% right. Another thing that they're making a little bit harder is with the new with the, you know, plants. Every 500 square metres, you got to have you need to have two plants with a seven metre uh, radius around them as well. So you need to have two of them on a 728 square metre development block as well as a 10% open space. So it is getting more difficult by the day to do these triplex developments. So I think we will start seeing a bit more side by side. And I'm a massive fan of that. I really would love to see a bit of that happening in the city of Stirling and in our area. The reason being is you, know, you can get really nice products on there. We sold one recently, which is probably the first I've seen in quite a while. Side by side, you had about 350 to 400 square meter of land. A nice four by two with a theater. And we achieved $100,000 over what the villas were selling for. No one thought that we'd get it, but we got it with our eyes closed within two weeks because there's just nothing like that in the area. There is a demand for it in the area because you've got growing families or young families with maybe having the second kid or second kid on the way. It's still affordable living at up to 500000 and you've got a four by two in the theater in such a good location, so close to everything. So I'd love to see more of that happening in our area. Well, if you think about Westminster being an aspirational suburb looking to get into that next echelon, which is why it was created yep. in the first place to move away from that state housing Spot on. stink, the types of properties that are being built at that next level in Balcatta and whatnot, they are the two-story side-by-sides with a really nice spec. And yep. why not? That's what we should be pushing Westminster into. I, I believe so. Um, like I said, once again, there's a huge demand for it. And being in the location that it is within sort of 10Ks to the city, you know, 15Ks to the beach, with all the um, infrastructure it has around it as well, I I believe there's a massive demand for that. And I'd love to see developers start steering that way. Let's tie that up and just get an understanding of if you're looking to get a development block, what are we paying right now? You're paying in the high threes to low fours for a 728 square meter block. Once you go over that, if it's a corner or if it's you know, a bit bigger, say 800 to 900, then you're, going, you're hitting the mid-fours at the moment. Now, let's move on to that last question of the day. We always ask our number one agent for the area. 
what's the median house price? And if you had that in your pocket, what yep. would you buy? Adam, let's go. Median house price is 370000 at the moment in Westminster. If I had that in my pocket, I would be negotiating on triplex potential blocks and probably getting them. You probably can secure something for around that 360, 370 mark. Three by one old house on a big block. Yep. That's where it's at at the moment. Adam, thanks for coming in. Hopefully, we'll have you in soon. Thanks for, for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!